Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, good morning, everyone, and internet world, or land. My name is uh, Kennard Levy-Brown. I'm your host for the Merciful Service of God, a biblical instructional program. Uh, today is uh, December 13th. I know that those are still celebrating, uh, some are still celebrating Hanukkah, uh, no matter what calendar you're observing, whether it's the Jewish calendar or the New Moon calendar or some other calendar, uh, you are celebrating Hanukkah. I know some in the Hebrew Roots movement feel that Hanukkah is a sin and you shouldn't celebrate it, and I'm going to try to cover a little bit of that today. Uh, but Hanukkah, certainly, when you look at the uh, scriptures and you look at the history of the Jews, uh, is certainly nothing wrong with celebrating the miraculously liberated. So uh, we're going to do a uh, Bible study on that. But we're, we, what we want to do today is concentrate on what the meaning of Hanukkah is for the 21st century. And a verse that I'm going to use as a foundation for this Bible study to answer that question is the following. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 15. And I'm going to go slow with this because I really want to hit this in a way where it's very clear to you. Matthew 24, verse 15. Now, this is in the context of answering the question that his Talmudim who later became his emissaries, had asked him. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, emissaries means apostles. For those who are listening to me for the first time or have no clue about Hebrew, and then Talmudim means disciples or students. Upon the Mount of Olives, which is across from the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, the Talmudim, or disciples, came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And so the whole context of this, the remaining chapter of Matthew chapter 24, is answering uh, these two questions. Actually, three questions. Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So three questions are being asked. The end of the world 
And in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, actually, let me read it up to the 15th verse so you'll understand the context. Uh, verse 4, and Yeshua answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Messiah, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation, and that word in the Greek should be translated tribes or families, uh, shall rise against tribes or families, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in various places. And verse 8, incredibly, he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. And in verse 9, then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. In verse 10, and then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. So in the context of all this, we have great portrayal, unfortunately, in our movements, in the Torah movements. And and I know this because I experienced it. There is hate, unfortunately, uh, in this movement. Now, not not with everybody, but unfortunately because people are not following conflict resolution in Matthew chapter 18, as it's listed, uh, when people get offended, they don't go to each other, they go to other people and talk about it, and that's not how you uh, solve that problem. And also people don't understand, uh, some people anyway in this movement don't understand how to have mercy. And in Psalms 86, scripture just popped in my mind here. Verse 5, we all have to imitate the Lord. In Ephesians 5, verse 1, it says, uh, imitate God. We have to imitate Yah. Yah is Hebrew short for God. Uh, Psalm 86, verse 5, for thou, Master, art good and ready to forgive. So we should be ready to forgive people. And plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. So being merciful has something to do with being ready to forgive, ladies and gentlemen, and and if we don't have that attitude uh, of wanting to forgive people, God is not going to forgive you. And so we, we, we can't get into an arrogant attitude of, of thinking that, hey, you know, I'm so righteous and blah, blah, blah. How could that person have done that to me and blah, blah, blah. Well, we have to understand something, that none of us deserve to live. Only Yeshua deserves to live because... He never sinned, right? <laughs> so let's let's understand that. Let's let's realize that the Bible says we all come short of the, of His glory. Uh, in James chapter two, James chapter two uh, states the following: For he shall have judgment without mercy, that have that have showed no mercy. And you show no mercy, ladies and gentlemen, when uh, there's biblical credence uh, for you to forgive someone. And there's two areas. The first area is, of course, if you have a brother, and the brother knows that he's done wrong, or she knows, the sister knows that she's done wrong, and a brother, sister in Christ, the Messiah, uh, you wait for them to come to you to say, I'm sorry, then you forgive them. That's in Luke chapter 17. Uh, that's the instructions there. However, this is the general case with most people in the world. Most people don't know that they're doing wrong. And Yeshua is on the cross. 
and I'm sure I don't have to quote the scripture for you to, to uh, remember this, but as he was on the cross, he prayed to his father and said, for they know not what they do. And so if someone is not aware that they're doing something wrong, you, you certainly are commanded to, to forgive them. And so in Luke chapter 17, Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 1, then said to Talmudim, it is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him to whom they come. Verse 2, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he's cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. In verse 3, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, correct him. And if he repent, and here's the key, if he repent, and this is a brother, this is someone who knows better, forgive him. So he has to repent for you to forgive them. Verse 4, and if he trespass against thee seven times in the day, and seven times in the day turn again to thee, and saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And see, I, I, I've, I've experienced people actually doing this, uh, asking for, for repentance, and yet they these people don't want to forgive the individual. That's not found in scriptures. And so that's something that certainly is causing um, division among the assemblies in these end times. So anyway, and Yeshua talks about this. Talks about Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 24 again, when he states in verse 10, "And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one." This is what this is talking about. The uh, this certainly has something to do with the uh, the ability or avoiding uh, the clear instructions on how to resolve conflict. <clears throat> Let's listen to Matthew chapter 18. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. Verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And we got so many today. That's another program to even talk about that. Anyway, Matthew 24, verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. In other words, people's ability to care for one another will decline. And that's what happened during the days of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's the reason why in Luke chapter 17 he talks about these end times the character traits, anyway, being similar to those uh, that lived in, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Because the people in Sodom and Gomorrah did not care about folks. And we live in a time now where that's the case today. I was explaining to someone who I was teaching yesterday in Proverbs chapter 30. Let's turn there. Proverbs chapter 30. We are living in this generation. This is a prophecy. Proverbs 30 verse 14. There is a generation whose teeth are as swords and their jaw teeth as knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. And, and people say, well, Kanar, uh, uh, what, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to show you what I'm talking about. I'm going to go to my website here, mercifulserviceofgod.com, because I have all this information on my website, mercifulserviceofgod.com. And I encourage you to go to the website. It's not the most classiest website around, but it has a lot of uh, good information. So if you're looking for good information, then go to my website and some good biblical information, and some decent articles that were written. All right. And so what I'm going to do is go to my website and click on Poverty Facts. And this is probably the best website in the world in, in regards to understanding global issues, uh, social, political, economic, environmental issues that affect us all. It is uh, it has been created by Anoop Shah, and I, I this is an awesome website. Anyway. He, I'm clicking to his article, Poverty, Facts, and Stats, and he states the following right here. Almost half the world, over 3 billion people, and it's probably more than that now because he wrote this uh, around 2013, I think, 
live on less than $2.50 a day. Let me repeat that. Almost half the world, over 3 billion people, live on less than $2.50 a day, ladies and gentlemen. And that's and then, on top of that, at least 80% of humanity lives on less than $10 a day. You tell me that's not talking about this particular generation, that prophecy? Yes, it is. More than 80% of the world's population lives in countries where income differentials are widening. The poorest 40% of the world's population amounts for 5% of global income. The richest 20% accounts for three-quarters of world income. That's the richest 20% accounts for 75%. Of world income. Let me repeat that again. The richest 20% accounts for 75% of world income. And so, ladies and gentlemen, let me uh, drink some water. I'll be right back. All right, so we have those facts. So we are living in the time that Yeshua described that the, there would be uh, people not caring about one another and, and, and great uh, a great gap between the rich and the poor. And that's, the, that's another sign that I don't hear talked about too much uh, from prophecy teachers that we are in the end times. All right, so anyway, uh, verse 13, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So we have to endure unto the end to be saved. That's another Bible study. Verse 14 of Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. And, and that this gospel certainly hasn't been preached in all the world as a witness to all nations since the first century. The first century, the population of um, the world at that time was only 200 million people. That's with an M, 200 million people. And so this Jewish gospel, this gospel that, that, that gets into the Hebrew roots, that reveals who uh, Jesus really is. Jesus is not... Uh, someone who had his hair all the way down and real skinny and looked like a pen, ladies and gentlemen. That's not the true Jesus. The true Jesus was a Jew. And so that particular gospel certainly has not been preached around the world for uh, over 2,000 years. And, and, but it will be. And it's, the genesis of it is, you know, I preached that, that gospel. A few others have preached that true gospel. But this is talking about a um, a magnificent, a thorough worldwide preaching of the gospel and i know that certain ministry says we're preaching the gospel around the world that's not true folks don't believe that uh, they uh they may have a, a marketing reach of over two billion people over the internet and uh, they may have uh, uh worked some agreements to do television uh broadcast to all people that have televisions around the world but that doesn't mean that everyone is receiving that message of the Jewish gospel around the world. So, you know, I understand this. I I, I understand marketing. All right? So it, it doesn't happen that way, ladies. This is a this is a prophecy that's involving the two witnesses. That's in the Revelation chapter 11. And also in Revelation chapter 14 when it talks about angels preaching the gospel around the world. The setting, again, of the Great Tribulation. And so through the two witnesses, whoever they are, and also the angels in Revelation chapter 14 that's going to preach the gospel around the world, read verses 1 to 6. That's how this prophecy will be fulfilled. Now, verse 15, Matthew 24, verse 15. When you shall therefore see the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, stand in the holy place, and people 
There's some people that are thinking that the temple won't be built, and I say the nay to that. Uh, I'm going to do a simple search here of holy place using my uh, eSword Bible program. Just type in holy place, the phrase. And when you type this, you get a whole bunch of scriptures that prove that the holy place means a built structure. And even in the New Testament, Acts chapter 6, verse 13, uh, and set up false witnesses which says, This man ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the Torah. So in that context, certainly holy place is, is talking about a built structure. In Acts 21, verse 28, crying out, Men of Israel, help. This is the man that teacheth all men everywhere against the people and the law. This is talking about uh, making false accusations about uh, Shaul. In Acts chapter 6, it was false accusations about Stephen. Shaul is uh, Hebrew for Paul. This is the man that teaches all men everywhere where against the people and the Torah and this place and further brought Greeks into, also into the temple and has polluted this holy place. Again, it's telling you that the holy place is certainly referring to a built structure. Hebrews 9, verse 12, Neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place. So enter. So a holy place is something you enter into. Uh, Hebrews 9, verse 25, Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place. All right, so that's enough scriptural proof. You can Look, if you want to, go ahead and get the free Bible uh, software program, eSword. And remember, we didn't have these tools until the 21st century. We didn't have Bible programs like this that we could uh, actually search uh, phrases and find scriptures based on that. So when you don't have those type of things, uh, you, you, you won't um, have the tools to be able to thoroughly research something uh, to tell whether or not holy place meant a built structure or what some people teach today. All right, so um, Esort. So go to uh, go just do a uh, Google search on eSword. You can get the free software program and uh, learn how to type in phrases. Uh, to uh, if you want to learn about uh, what a holy place is or anything, any any phrase or word, you can type it in there. It'll pop up all the scriptures, and then you'll be able to get the truth about it. All right, so so let's go back to uh, Matthew 24 verse 15 so we understand Yeshua was talking about a place you enter into uh, a built structure Matthew 24 verse 15 when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place whoever readeth let him understand in verse 16 let him which be in Judea that's the west bank today flee into the mountains let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house all right Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days, these terrible days. Pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, you know, on the Shabbat, which proves that people will be keeping Shabbat today, which means that Shabbat is not, has not been nailed to the cross, neither have the Moedim or, or the Holy Days. That's another Bible study. Verse 24, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of this world unto this time, nor ever shall be, and except those days should be shortened, there shall be no flesh saved, but the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. All right, so what is the abomination of desolation, ladies and gentlemen? He said to go to Daniel, so let's do that. Let's go to Daniel, and then we're going to go to the book of Maccabees, all right, because it is history. And But he did tell us to go to Daniel. He says uh, Daniel spoke of these things, so we need to go to Daniel. 
All right, so Daniel chapter 11, verse 30. For the ships of Chittim shall come against him. Therefore he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the holy covenant. Against the holy covenant. All right, and the holy covenant is, of course, talking about the Jewish people and their relationship with Messiah, uh, with um, Yah. No thing that we need to understand there. And um, let's continue on here. For the ships of Chittim shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved, he shall be grieved, and return and have indignation against the Holy Covenant. Against the Holy Covenant. And let me read a little bit here. This is talking about the Second Egyptian War. In the spring of 168, Antiochus again had to besiege Memphis, and he did successfully, taking control of Lower Egypt. As he again prepared to lay siege against the weakened Alexandria, he actually had himself crowned king of Egypt. But there was a difference this time. Egypt had appealed to Rome for help, and their ships, that's what it means by the ships of Chittim, uh, arrived as he approached Alexandria. Roman consul Gallius Popilius Lianus met him by the walls of Alexandria and commanded flight that he had to consult with his advisors. The Roman consul drew a circle in the dirt around the king and insisted that he give his answer before stepping out of the circle. A humiliated Antichus conceded to Roman authority and straggled uh, toward home, looking for a way to vent his misery. This was probably in July of 168. And then uh, in verse 30, uh, Daniel chapter 11, fury against the Holy Covenant. Uh, I'll just read the, the rest of this in, in verse 30 of Daniel chapter 11. I was reading from the uh, the I as in Italy, as in Valentine, P, as in Paul, Bible background commentary. All right, so for the chips of Chittim shall come against him, therefore he shall be grieved and return and have indignation against the Holy Covenant, so shall he do. He shall return and have intelligence with them that forsake the Holy Covenant. So these are uh, Jews that are going against the the religion, Jews, uh, which was simply, hey, we keep Torah. Uh, Verse 31, and arms, I'm just trying to explain this in a clear way to you. An arm shall stand on his part, and they shall pollute the sanctuary of strength, which that's the holy place, and shall take away the daily. And what is the daily? The daily, if you look at Numbers chapter 28, was the evening and morning uh, sacrifice of the lamb. And they shall place the abomination that maketh desolate. All right, so that's the Bible definition of what the abomination of desolate is. It involves a, a, um, a morning and evening sacrifice that's being stopped. All right, and uh, and then verse thirty-two, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall be corrupt by flatteries, but the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. All right, and then let's go to Maccabees. About here, in the first chapter of Maccabees. All right, now I know this is not scripture, but what I'm doing is is, is helping you understand. Uh, history, and it certainly is a historical document. Uh, no one would deny that, that uh, this is certainly a historical document and that we need to uh, take heed to what it's saying here when it's backed up by scriptures. Okay, so um, let me read here. It's in Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, verse 10. And there came out of them a wicked root, Antichus, 
surnamed Epiphanes, son of Antiochus the king, who had been in Hashish at Rome, and he reigned in the 137th year of the kingdom of the Greeks. In those days went there out of Israel wicked men who persuaded many. These are the ones who took the covenant, saying, Let us go and make a covenant with the heathen that are around about us, for since we departed from them we have had much sorrow. So this is in First Maccabees 1, verse 11. And so this device pleased them well. Then certain of the people were so forth therein that they went to the king who gave them license to do after the ordinance of the heathen. Whereupon they built a place of exercise at Jerusalem according to the customs of the heathen, and they made themselves uncircumcised and forsook the holy covenant. So that's what that means. And joined themselves to the heathen and were sold to do mischief. Now when the kingdom was established before Antiochus, he thought to reign over Egypt that he might have the dominion of two realms. I just read that to you. Wherefore he entered into Egypt with a great multitude with chariots and elephants and horsemen and a great army and made war with Potomi, king of Egypt. But Potomi was afraid of him and fled and many were wounded to death. And they got the strong cities in the land of Egypt, and he took the spoils thereof, and that Antiochus had spent in Egypt. He returned again in the 143rd year and went up against Israel and Jerusalem with great multitudes and entered proudly into the sanctuary and took away the golden altar, the candlestick of light, and all the vessels thereof, and the table of showbread, and the pouring vessels, and the vials, and the censers of gold, and the veil, and the crown, and the golden ornaments that were before the temple, which he had pulled off. He took... Also the silver and the gold and the precious vessels. Also he took the hidden treasures which he found. And when he had taken all the way, he went to his own land, having made a great massacre and spoken very proudly. Therefore there was a great mourning in Israel and in every place where they were, so that the princes and elders mourned, the virgins and young men were made feeble, and the beauty of men were changed. Um, every bridegroom took up lamentation. And she that sat in the marriage chamber was in heaviness. The land was also moved for the inhabitants thereof, for all the house of Jacob was covered with confusion. All of them were covered with confusion. And then after two years fully expired, the king sent his chief collector, and this is history, folks, collector of tribute into the cities of Judah, came unto Jerusalem with a great multitude and spoke peaceable words unto them, but all was deceit. For when they had given him credence, he fell suddenly upon the city and smote it very sore and destroyed much people in Israel. And when, all, and when he had taken the spoils of the city, he set it on fire and pulled down the houses and walls thereof. But the women and children, they took captive and possessed the, the cattle. Then built they the city of David, strong, uh, with a uh, great and strong wall, with mighty towers, and made it a stronghold for them. And they put there of a sinful nation wicked men and fortified themselves therein. And so this is describing uh, basically the abomination of desolation, what was happening here. And I'm going to skip over to verse 44 of Malachi chapter 1. For the king has sent letters by, by messengers in Jerusalem in the cities of Judah that they should follow the strange laws of the land and forbid burnt offerings and sacrifices and drink offerings in the temple and that they should profane the Shabbats and the festival days. So so this this is what uh, the abomination of desolation has, is all about too, forsaking Torah and pollute the sanctuary and the holy people, set up altars and groves and chapels of idols and sacrifice swine's flesh and unclean beasts that they should also leave their children uncircumcised and make their souls abominable with all the manner of uncleanness and, uh, to the end they, that they might forget the Torah and change all the ordinances. And so that's what that, this is what the abomination of desolation is. Um, you're going to see that here in a minute. Even in the uh, Maccabees, it, it, it states that phrase. I'm getting ready to show this to you in a minute. In the selfsame manner wrote he to his whole kingdom and appointed overseers over all the people commanding the cities of Judah to sacrifice city by city. 
And then many of the people were gathered unto them to wit everyone that forsook the law, forsake the holy covenant, the Torah, and so they committed evils in the land. In verse 53, and drove the Israelites into secret places, even whatsoever they could flee. Now, in verse 54, now the 15th day of the month of um, Kislev in the 145th year, they set up the abomination of desolation upon the altar and built idol altars through the cities of Judah on every side and burnt incense at the doors of their houses and streets. Verse 56, And when they had rent in pieces the books of the Torah which they found, they burnt them with fire, and whatsoever was found of any book of the Testament or of any committed to the Torah, the king's commandment was that they should put, put him to death. Thus did they by their authority unto the Israelites every month to as many as were found in the cities. Now this is in the book of Maccabees, and we know that because of this event, that's how Hanukkah came to pass. And Hanukkah came to pass because of this. And we know that uh, the Maccabees overcame uh, what happened here. And uh, we know that, uh, let me just quote this uh, statement from David Stern of his, in the Jewish New Testament commentary, Matthew 24, verse 15, when Antiochus, Epiphanes conquered Jerusalem in 167 BCE. He erected an altar to Zeus in the temple. This is found in 1 Maccabees 1, verse 54, and 1 Maccabees 6, verse 7. Refer to this as a fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy, but Yeshua is pointing to an additional future fulfillment. And so, so we're going to get into what does this mean for the 21st century. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this simply means that this event is going to happen again. Okay, and when when Yeshua is talking about abomination and desolation, he's talking about Hanukkah, which in the Hebrew means dedication. Uh, strong number H two five nine eight. It's a feminine noun meaning dedication ceremony. It was used to show that something was officially in service. Uh, this is in the Complete Word Study Dictionary. The word describes the dedication of the Wall of Jerusalem after it was rebuilt after, under Nehemiah. This is in Nehemiah twelve verse twenty seven. I encourage you to listen to this program again in its entirety and then take a pencil and jot down these scriptures because I don't have enough time to quote all the scriptures, um, I mean to read them. It also refers to the dedication of David's house. This is in Psalm 30, verse 1. The word refers to an altar dedication in Second Chronicles 7, verse 1. Also in Numbers chapter 7, when it appears to refer particularly to the offerings offered on the altar. It's Numbers chapter 7, verse 10 to 11. Numbers 7, verse 84. And Numbers 7, verse 88. The word is best known in reference to the altar rededication described in the Apocryphal Books of the Maccabees, which has been since celebrated as a Jewish festival, Hanukkah. Okay, so, and then you have in the context of the completion of the first temple, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 65 to 66, and 2 Chronicles 7, verse 9. And it talks about seven days and seven days, even 14 days, seven days for the dedication of the house, and the seven days for the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, as the Targum, which is a Jewish um, translation of the Hebrew Scriptures in Aramaic, which agrees with Second Chronicles 7, verse 9. The Feast of Dedication was first and began perhaps on the seventh day of the month, as the Feast of Tabernacles did on the 15th within this time, namely on the 10th, was a fast day, the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, which was either observed between the two feasts or was omitted, which is not likely, or they did not eat and drink until the, seven, the evening of that day. The, Sept, uh, the Septuagint version, which is a Greek translation of the scriptures that was done 
back in 250 B.C. Uh, according to the Vatican copy, reads seven days. So anyway, the uh, festival of, of dedication, Hanukkah, was patterned as, after the, the Feast of Sukkot. That's why it's, it's very similar to that. So there are ten scriptural references uh, to Hanukkah. And I'm going to read them to you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's ten, basically. Uh, I'm going to read to you. Uh, well, actually, I read to you some already to you. Uh, here's the other ones. Ezra chapter 6, verse 16 to 17. Nehemiah 12, verse 27. So, yeah, I, I quoted some of these already. Daniel 3, verse 2 to 3. And John 10, verse 22. That's when that word, that's when that word dedication is used. Hanukkah point I want to make here, because I don't have too much time left here. Hanukkah is on the 25th of Kislev. That's the ninth month on the Jewish calendar. Interestingly, the prophet Haggai, or Haggai, talks about something that happened on the 24th of Kislev, which is right around the time of uh, when Hanukkah is celebrated. And this certainly supports what I'm trying to tell you, that is linked with helping us to understand the Great Tribulation, because the the first Great Tribulation really began during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. The second one uh, happened during eight, around A.D. 69, A.D. 70. The third one's going to happen more than likely in this century, ladies and gentlemen. So that's, that's the reason why we need to pay attention to uh, what Yeshua stated here in the context of Hanukkah, of the Festival of Dedication, which occurred because of the what happened during the times of, of of Antiochus Epiphany. All right, so let's turn to this scripture here. See what I'm saying? The prophet Haggai. I know most people don't even aren't aware uh, of this prophet, but uh, he's a prophet nonetheless, and uh, he had something to say, as all the prophets do. They they have something important to say. Okay, Haggai chapter 2, verse, uh, actually I'm going to read the whole chapter here. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the Lord spoke by Agabus, oh, I'm reading this in the Septuagint version, I'm reading the King James. Haggai 2, verse 1, in the seventh month, in the 21st day of the month, okay, and this is interesting, this is during the seventh month, this is the time of the fall festivals, the, the early rain the time of the coming of the Messiah. In the seventh month, in the 21st day of the month, came the word of the Lord by the prophet Haggai, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shittiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jodakah, the high priest, and to the residue of the people, saying, Verse 3, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison as it is nothing? Now, this is during the time of the start of Hanukkah, folks. This is very interesting. Let me continue to read this. Verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedach, Josedach, the high priest, and be strong, all ye people of the land, says the Lord, and work, for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 5. According to the word that I covenanted with you or, or made an agreement with you, when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remains among you. Fear you not. Verse 6. But thus says the master of hosts, yet once, it is a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. This is during the seventh month, the context of this. 
Verse 7, and I will shake all nations. You tell me this is not talking about the times of the great tribulation. And the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house. It's talking about a built structure with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The first great tribulation that happened during the times of the Maccabees involved a holy place. The second one that happened during A.D. 69 to 70 involved a holy place. The third one will involve a holy place, a built temple. Verse 7, And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, says the master of hosts. Verse 9, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, says the master of hosts. And this place will I give, it's a place, holy place, will I give peace, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 10, In the fourth and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, that's one day before uh, the 25th of Kislev, came the word of the master by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest concerning the law, saying, If one here bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it, it shall be unclean. Thus answered Haggai and said, So is this people. And so I just was reading you in the context of a time where people are just don't have the love that they should have, that uh, many of the people in this world are under oppression. And this, this backs up what I was saying. And Haggai too, and then said, Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said unto them, It shall be unclean. Verse 14. Then answered Haggai and said, So is this people and so is this nation before me, says the master. And so is every worker their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. In verse 15. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the master. Since those days were when one came to a heap of twenty measures, but there were ten when one came to the press fat to draw out 50 vessels out of the press there were but 20 I smote you with blasting with mildew and with hail and all the labors of your hands yet you did not turn back to me that's why he punishes us to get us to repent verse 18 consider now from this day upward from the 24th day of the ninth month even from the day that from the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid consider it is the sea yet in the barn yet as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree have not brought forth from this day I will bless you and again the word of the Lord came into Haggai in the 24th day of the month, saying, Say to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the heathen, and I will overthrow the chariots and those that ride in them, and the house and the horses and their riders shall come down, every one by the sword of his brother. And then in that day, says the Lord of hosts, I will take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Sheatiel says the master, and will make thee a signet, for I have chosen thee, says the Lord of hosts. And this is interesting because it's talking about something that's going to occur around the time of what? Hanukkah. And that, and, and Hanukkah occurs uh, around the 25th of Kislev. And so this is very interesting that it only proves that Hanukkah certainly is linked with the Great Tribulation, ladies and gentlemen. It is linked with the Great Tribulation. And so that's what it means, ultimately, 
ladies and gentlemen, for the 21st century. And so whenever we uh, celebrate Hanukkah, it's not a holy day, but it's a day that nonetheless we should recognize and observe. Uh, you don't stop work on these days, uh, but if you can, you should. But if you have to work, that's fine, and you should observe these days. It's the festival of life, the festival of dedication. And uh, we should be cleaning ourselves out. Uh, we should be uh, studying and the God's words, and we should uh, his words seriously and rededicate ourselves, just like the temple, the physical temple was rededicated. We should be rededicating our temples because we are also a type of temple, and so we should be doing that. And to close here, this is an excellent book that I'm going to quote from. It says, Thou shalt prosper by Rabbi Daniel Lapin, Lapin. And he talks about Hanukkah, and he says uh, in verse 24, or, or, or page 24, it says, he says, uh, one Jewish holiday in particular seems to focus on money. Almost everyone knows that Jews observe Hanukkah by lighting candles on each of the eight nights of the holiday. For less, far less similar are two details concerning the celebration. And uh, if I go off the air, um, you can get the entirety of what I'm saying in the archives. But I must read this. This is very important. I'm not going to... Uh, I'm not going to uh, shorten this. I want you to get this point because this is very important. It will help you to understand uh, a broader meaning of, of Hanukkah. Number one, part of the observance is for the light from those candles to have no utilitarian purpose. For this reason, they are customarily lit in a room in which other lighting, perhaps the regular electric lighting, is blazing. This allows the candles to serve the exclusive symbolic function, perhaps stimulate a discussion among family members. Someone may well ask, why do we have candles lit if there is already plenty of light in the room? Another may inquire, can we turn off the lights so we can see the candles better? Number two, there is a custom of giving children monetary gifts on Hanukkah. Like other people, Jews enjoy giving gifts of various kinds on all sorts of occasions. For instance, on Purim, the festival of Esther, people give gifts of food delicacies to one another. Ask the suggest that you do or command that you do in the scriptures in, in Esther. However, Hanukkah is the only holiday on which not only is it not distaste, distasteful to give a gift of money, it is not distasteful to give a gift of money, but it is viewed quite positively, especially for the children. And so, like I said, i got to read the rest of this, folks, but uh, when it goes off the air, um, this program is recorded and it is accessible on your smartphone, uh, and you, you can pass and share this program to other people who really want to understand the meaning of Hanukkah that is certainly biblical, despite what some people are teaching, and, and that Yeshua observed it because he was a Jew. It was a, it was a good Jewish tradition, and it has deep meaning. It has deep meaning about the Great Tribulation. It has deep meaning about what we should be doing. We should be rededicating ourselves uh, in addition to focusing on the prophecy of the temple uh, that will be rebuilt in Jerusalem soon uh, in the Middle East. Uh, that will trigger the Great Tribulation. So that's what it's all about, ladies and gentlemen. And so uh, I'm going to be shortly going off the air here, but I'm going to continue on explaining uh, and enhancing uh, an additional insight on what Hanukkah is all about. And please listen to this in the archives. It will be available in about 30 to 45 minutes after I'm done. Shalom. Peace. Okay, I'm going to continue on with um, 
the, uh, the recorded session is on here with understanding another uh, aspect of Hanukkah that is probably not taught too much among uh, the Hebrew Roots movement. Um, these two quirks of observance are linked by their explanation. The definitive code of Jewish law compiled in 1563 by Rabbi Joseph Carroll of Safed in the Holy Land emphasizes that absolutely no benefit should be obtained from using the light of the Hanukkah candles. Then conjuring up what appears to be an anti-Semitic stereotype, the code declares, and even to examine your money and to count how much money you have may not be done by the light of the Hanukkah candles. What? And I suppose that on all other occasions on which the Jews light celebratory candles, such as those that usher in the Shabbat each Friday night, the first thing they should they choose to do is to count their money, hardly. The point is that on Hanukkah you are supposed to be super sensitive to your money and particularly grateful for it. This is so central a feature of the Hanukkah holiday that you might have been forgiven for supposing that counting your money in front of the holiday candles would be way a way of enhancing the link between Hanukkah and your money. Thus the code of Jewish law, that's talking about the oral law, which some of it makes sense, some of it doesn't, warns that you must not count your money by the light of the candles, even though you might have imagined that, especially on this holiday, that is exactly what you should do. You should certainly count your money on Hanukkah, just not by the light of those special candles. They have a special symbolism that is linked to the money, but just a little. What does light symbolize to people? That's a good question. Let's get the answer. Well, if you aren't sure, take a glance at your Sunday comics and see what a light bulb shown above the head of one of the characters means. It usually suggests that Dagwood has just had a bright idea. That is why folks sometimes say, I have seen the light. I have seen the light. When what they really mean is, oh, yes, I understand perfectly, or someone might ask the person to whom he is patiently explaining something. Do you see? In reality, Hanukkah candles are intended for only one purpose, and that is to signify education and understanding. The Word of God, who takes away the sins of the world, we know that in the menorah, the middle uh, area of the menorah represents Messiah, and he is the ultimate uh, source of wisdom. All right, so Hanukkah candles are intended for only one purpose, and that is to signify education and understanding. Even the name of, ho of the holiday, Hanukkah, is an expansion of the Hebrew word for education. It means dedication, but also an expansion for the Hebrew word education. The word comprises the first four of the five letters making up the Hebrew word Hanukkah. Yes, education and money are very closely linked. Joining together the themes of the candles and the money, we find a reason for the custom of giving children money for each of the eight nights of Hanukkah in amounts that are proportional to the success of their studies. The money is a reward for the light they have gained during the past year. In this way, early in their development, children are inculcated or uh, they're infused with the idea that not only is money not bad, but it is often can be the result of self-improvement. You receive money in proportion to how helpful you can make yourself to other people. Hanukkah is a reminder that educating oneself is surely one of the best ways of increasing one's potential to be helpful to others. And that is another important way to remember Hanukkah. It's a time to rededicate ourselves. It's a time to, to re rededicate ourselves, to educate ourselves, to the point of where we can be helpful to people, not just biblically, but also physically, so that we can practice what James stated in James chapter 1, verse 27. 
James chapter 1, verse 27. He stated the following. Pure religion, religion in the, in the Greek means worship. Pure worship and undefiled before Yah and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. So, to help us understand, to summarize what you have learned today, Hanukkah represents the great tribulation. It represents a time where there's great apostasy. It represents the time when keeping the Sabbath and the holy days are discouraged. But there will be martyrs, just like there was in the first century. There will be martyrs in the, in the end times, ladies and gentlemen. And so it's talking about a great time of, of destruction, uh, proved by Haggai chapter 2, when there's a prophecy given to um, uh, the people at that time, and that prophecy uh, was given around the time of the start of Hanukkah, which, again, proves that Hanukkah certainly has a lot to do with the Great Tribulation, ladies and gentlemen. And so it also represents the time to clean, to rededicate um, our own altars, because we are like temples, based on uh, what Shaul stated. Uh, we um, are similar to the temple. We are the temple of God. Let me quote the scripture from uh, Shaul here. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, states plainly, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, states plainly, Know ye not that you are the temple of, of Yah, and the spirit of Yah dwells in you. Verse 17, If any man defile the temple of Yah, so just like during Hanukkah, uh, the temple was rededicated from all the filth and abomination that Antichrist and Epiphany did to the physical temple, we are spiritual temples. We need to get all the defilement out of our minds and out of our bodies. And that also includes uh, eating the right foods, um, using true medicine, which is essential oils and herbs and so forth. So this is a time to rededicate ourselves to those things. And then this is a time to also better understand prophecy because Hanukkah, again, is prophetic. If any man defile the temple of Yah, shall Yah destroy, for the temple of Yah is holy, which temple you are. Okay? And so we this is a time of rededication. Hanukkah should be observed, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a Torah commandment, but Messiah observed it. The proof of that is uh, John 10, verse 22, despite what some people are earnestly teaching. Uh, he did celebrate Hanukkah. That dedication means Hanukkah, does not mean Shemiatrit. It means Hanukkah when you look at the context and study Jewish history. And then there's other, if you just look at the word dedication is used, uh, there's several other places in the scriptures that, that tells you uh, what that Hebrew word means. I mean, if you look at um, in uh, Esword or any other Bible program, um, and you just turn to one of the scriptures, number 7, verse 84, uh, that word in the original Hebrew means Hanukkah, okay, consecration, dedication. That's what Hanukkah means, and also Hebraically it can mean education, has a link to education, knowledge, okay. So um, I hope that you have been enlightened. I hope that you have a better meeting or uh, a more uh, thorough meeting, meaning of what Hanukkah is all about. Uh, and particularly, I hope you understand that Hanukkah certainly linked to these end times in the 21st century. And 
uh, we have to understand that uh, the spirit of anti-Messiah will forbid circumcision, will forbid observing Shabbat and keeping kosher or the, or the uh, unclean and clean meats. And uh, it's, it's a uh, anti-tor or anti-law spirit that's in the world right now. It's only going to get worse. And so Hanukkah clean out our, our spiritual temples, but certainly it's a picture that the physical temple, uh, which the Temple Institute is planning to build, uh, the templeinstitute.org, will happen because it has to happen for an abomination of desolation to occur again, ladies and gentlemen. So with that, may Yah bless and keep you, and Yah willing, I'll be available to speak to you next week. Shalom. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.